0: This week we're doing something a little bit different. Let me see if I can get this to work here real fast. Um, We're wrapping up our, uh, we're in the midst of a campaign. Let me back up. We're in the midst of a campaign through the book of Ephesians. We're going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Kind of typically how we do um, our teaching series here is uh, we study books of the Bible together. We dig into them and we call those kind of big looks through a book a campaign. And then we do series inside of those campaigns. I know it's weird and just random verbiage. But just for the sake of uh, understanding this morning, in the midst of this series in in Ephesians, we've been looking at eight verses in Ephesians throughout the course of this entire summer. That will get a little clearer as we go on as to why. Um, And then a series we're calling Set for Life. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 16. Now, if you're uh, like most of us here at Sozo and you uh, have fallen into sin and stopped using an actual Bible and you're using your phone, totally kidding, sort of. Um, But no, you might not want to go there just yet because we are also this week uh, wrapping up this series and we want to make sure that this series is sticking with us as a church. Uh, It's very important foundationally for us, the things that we're studying together and learning in the midst of this. So um, many of you may be here this morning for this reason. This morning we're doing what we're calling Talk Back Sunday. Um, We put the date up there just in case you didn't know what the date was today. Um, and so we actually want to invite you to uh, ask questions this morning. Now, for the sake of flow and kind of not getting too derailed, we're not going to pass around a mic or ask you to say anything into a microphone. Uh, We're actually going to ask you to refrain from that if possible and actually text us in those questions. Uh, We've received uh, about a half a dozen or so through email and messages on Facebook, Um, but we did get the best one this morning. Somebody asked, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And I would have to say not a lot. I don't like chocolate. So, um, so in case that person's listening in on the podcast, that, there you go. Um, but we, uh, we would ask you to text those questions in. Uh, the number you can text those questions into, <clears throat> and I apologize, I forgot to put this on a slide this morning, but it's uh, Eric code 509-590-8381. I'll say that about 16 more times so you get that. Um, it's 509-590-8381. It's also in your bulletins, my wife is letting me know. So if you have a bulletin, it's in there. Um, confession time. This week, I actually kind of got nervous. I was really excited about doing this, this uh, kind of a message, this kind of a ending up, wrapping up and ending the series. And I started to get nervous. And I got nervous for two reasons. One, I worried, like, what if a question is asked that I don't know the answer to? And then I realized, all I have to say is, I don't know. Because you don't either. And so I don't have to feel bad about it. Because um, so you asked the question. So if you don't know and I don't know, I'll find the answer, but yeah. Uh, and also, I remember that the Lord promised us that when we stand in front of people, we don't have to worry. He'll give us words. So, And also, the, the third kind of thing that gave me some, some solace in the midst of all this is I could always just give the Sunday school answer of Jesus. Kind of works for everything. What do you do if somebody gets mad at you and hits you in the face? Jesus. Just trust Jesus. My job's easy. Um but the second thing, and this was I was more worried about, this is just me using you for group therapy. Um, I started to worry, it's like, what if nobody asks questions? Like we've got a few in, but what if nobody in the room asks questions? And then literally last night I'm praying and kind of praying over the service and the day to day and, and, uh, and talking to Jesus about it. And he, it dawns on me through him speaking to me that like, for the first time ever in the history of Sozo, um, the way the message goes is not 100% my fault. If y'all don't ask questions and it sucks at the end, it's your fault. Like, <laughs> It's just going to be 15 minutes of really awkward silence while I wait for somebody to text something in. So um, I encourage you to text it in. If you're using an iOS device, uh, you can text that in through your iPad. Just to let you know, it's going to an iPhone. So uh, um, if you want to text that in that way as well. So again, 509-590-8381. Uh, we're kind of predominantly looking at asking questions that pertain to this passage, but if I brought up anything as far as as it relates to Sozo or us as a church or any of those kind of things and you want to text that in, if we get time, we'll answer it. If we get a lot that we don't have time to answer, just so we're clear, um, I'm actually prepared this week to do a um, second podcast where we will try to answer those questions in just a, a podcast. We've got a large um, uh, kind of global uh, online family here at Sozo, and so we want to make sure that we get to those as well, so of uh, 509-590-8381. So you will not offend me. Uh, normally you do when you're on your phones during a service, but today special grace dispensation has been given that I will not be offended as much as normal as you texting. And so feel free jump right in. I'm going to just go ahead and jump straight into the message today. Uh, you're about to see a miracle. I'm going to try to review this entire series, three months in the next uh, roughly 15 minutes. So I use roughly. So that way you can't get mad at me if I go 20 minutes. Um, But we're going to do a giant kind of overarching from outer space view of this, and hopefully it will not be a train wreck. And if not, if it is, that's always fun to watch. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 16, reading out of the uh, ESV, can we do me a favor this morning? Can we just stand for the reading of God's word? We don't always do this, but I think occasionally it's appropriate to show reverence and respect to the word of God. I know it's kind of old school, but we're a little old school here, so that's okay. Many things are going to be said this morning. What we're about to read is not the opinions of man or the thoughts that came out of my head, but it's literally the word of God, living, active, breathed upon, that he might speak to us his word for us. So let's read this. Ephesians 4, 8. Therefore, it says, when he, speaking of Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives. There's you and me. And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Can we say that together? That he might fill all things. One more time, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, catch this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together. By every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together and we'll jump right in. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. I Thank you that it's a living word, that it's an active word, not a passive and a dead word. And God, we come to you this morning truly, honestly, humbly, boldly, desperately in need to hear you speak to us. We did not come here to hear somebody ramble. We did not come here to hear funny anecdotes. We did not come here to be entertained. We came here, God, to encounter you and to hear you speak to us. So I'm asking this morning, somehow in your grace and in your mercy, to break through all of the garbage and the illusions that seem to separate us from you and that you would speak to our hearts. God, let your word come alive. Let your word be spoken this morning. In the midst of all that is said this morning, let the reverberation and the echo of your voice and your word be heard in our ears and in our hearts. But God, also let it be grabbed a hold of and applied by our feet. Let us be doers of your word, not just hearers. Let us apply your word, not just listen to your word that we might be transformed by it, God, that we might actually receive a benefit from coming to church this morning because simply coming here is not enough. We need to be changed. We need to leave different than we came in. So God, we're asking for you to do that as you are so faithful to do. You're speaking your word to us and giving us the grace to apply it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for honoring the Lord in that way together. Okay, I'm going to go really fast because my timer says I have 12 minutes and 44 seconds, 43 seconds, 42 seconds. Um, Okay, we're going to jump right in. What we saw here is this, that Jesus in coming to earth and in purchasing us through his death, burial, and resurrection, the verbiage, the wording, the, the picture here is that he led a host of captives into the freedom of his kingdom. In doing that, he has enlisted us also in the fulfillment, engagement of his mission and his vision on the earth. Jesus did not come to the earth, live on the earth, experience his uh, 33 years on the earth, and then leave and disengage with the earth. But rather he is still present and active through his people, his body, the local church. We believe that the hope of the world is Jesus working through his body, the local church. Um, I, I personally have sold everything in my life on that fact everything in me believes that the world can be truly and utterly transformed through the grace and mercy of Jesus functioning through his people inside and through the local church. Uh, We see here his, his, his mission, the mission of Jesus is not, please hear me for you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. The mission of Jesus is not for you to grow up Uh, have a cushioned bank account, live in a safe neighborhood with a nice picket fence, uh, retire early, get a boat, and die of a nice, slow, painless death of old age. That is not Jesus' hope for you. Might be a bummer to some of us apparently, but that's not his hope for your life. That's not his mission. Jesus, though he did come here to show us what serving is and to show us what a servant is, he did not come here in order to wait on you hand and foot. I like to say it this way, um, God is neither a slot machine nor a vending machine kind of heard these kind of we never use these terms but we kind of think about this well you know if you we have one side of the coin the vending machine kind of picture of god well, you know you go to god if you do the right things and you say the right prayer and you tie the right amount of money it's like you put your quarter in the machine you hit B4 and you get your snickers bar you get whatever you god is this somehow mechanical system that if i work the right way i can get what i want out of him but then we have this other flip side of it that kind of says well you know you never know you go to jesus you pray you put your quarter in you pull the lever maybe you win maybe you don't he's in a good mood if he hasn't, hasn't paid out in a while, maybe you got a better shot. That's why prayer meetings are good. He's not paying out to a lot of people. A lot of people are praying at once. Maybe you can jump in right at the right moment. Watch for the little, little lady that's wasted all of her retirement, and you can get the slot machine to pay out. Somehow that's how we think, and neither of those are true, but rather Christ is engaging with this for a purpose, but it's not your purpose, it's his purpose. And his purpose is to fill the earth with himself. We saw it clearly laid out here. He he led a host of captives out of captivity. He gave gifts to men that the world, that all things, everything might be filled with him. Every realm of culture, every area of your life, every bit of your daily, mundane, boring existence might be filled with the reality and the knowledge and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. That's an exciting life to live in, in my opinion. So we see that as his mission and he has engaged each and every one of us in the fulfillment of that mission. If you have experienced the redemptive grace of Christ in your life, if you are presently experiencing the, uh, the membership, the, the citizenship in the kingdom of God, you have been enrolled to fulfill that vision. We've said it before. The church and the kingdom is not Burger King. It's Jesus' King. It's not your way right away. It's his way all the time. Okay. That's the thing. I know I'm talking fast. I've got 10 minutes left, nine minutes left. Um, So we need to see this. The problem is each and every one of us know that we have broken areas in our life that hinder us from doing that. We can be motivated. We can have the desire and even the drive to be a part of that. But somehow there's a drag in the experience of our life that pulls us down and seems to hinder us from doing that. So what is Christ's remedy to that? The world says, try harder. Religion says you suck and you're not good enough. Try harder. It's not a whole lot different. One just makes you feel worse. The gospel and grace says Jesus working through his body is going to reset those broken areas of your life that you might be able to sustain consistent ministry, consistent uh, fulfillment of that vision and experience it in your daily life. The gospel is quite simple. You and I suck at life, so Jesus died for us. It's about the shortest I think I could ever possibly say it, uh, God in his infinite mercy and grace saw us in the state that we exist. The state that you and I exist in the Bible tells us we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, every one of us. We all sin. There's nothing within us good. There's nothing within us that cries out to God. There's nothing within us that seeks after him. Such an uplifting message. God saw us in that state, recognized us in that state, That we were completely and utterly separated from you. He said, well, I don't sin. Well, the Bible tells us we all sin. We all sin in two ways. We sin by commission, meaning we do things wrong that we know we shouldn't do. But we also sin in omission, meaning that we don't do the good that we know we ought to. And the Bible calls both of those things sin. But the good news is this. While we are desperately corrupt and depraved sinners, that sin though it separated us from God, did not scare God away from us, but rather the scriptures tell us, drew him near to us, that he might be the propitiation, the payment, the, the fulfillment of our sin, that on the cross, Christ absorbed the entirety of God's wrath for us. So there is no wrath left for you or for me in Christ. All that is left, there is grace, mercy, and love, and we can only worry about his mercy and his grace overcoming us as it is chasing us like a hound. That's where you say amen. We're going quick. I'll give you some grace. So here's what we saw. We saw that those, uh, though we need to be equipped, though we need to be reset, Christ has not left this to some weird sort of pseudo-spiritual experience, but rather he's placed within his body specifically graced and gift people to fulfill that equipping. And we see these in the five areas known often by as the fivefold ministry or the grace gifts of Jesus. Um, and we see this as the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Some of your Bibles might say pastors and teachers. Uh, Same Greek word. So here's what we're going to do really fast, as fast as I've ever done it ever. We're going to go over these five really, really quick in like bullet point. I'm going to try to not look up so I don't chase any rabbits. Here we go. Apostles. Um, The apostles, if I'm going to try to use something really quick to stick it in your brain, they're the founding fathers. Not just uh, in the Bible, not just in the past, but presently functioning. What is their function and role? They build the gospel as the base of our life. They set the gospel, they, they remove the soot and the, the sand, the, the rocks and the filth out of our hearts, out of our thinking. So we believe and we trust that the gospel is the gospel and the gospel is truth. And the gospel is the foundation that we can build our entire life upon. Your life cannot be built on you trying harder. Your life cannot be built on you somehow figuring out to be a better person. Your life cannot be built on you just pretending like you aren't sinning and it'll just go away. Bible teaches that the gospel is the reality that in Christ we have been reconciled to God and been made, uh, been made to know Him in an intimate and real way, and that is completely and utterly dependent upon Jesus and not dependent upon you. Nothing you did, nothing you accomplished, somehow earned His grace in your life, but rather out of His mercy, out of His grace, out of His love, He chose you to be a part of His kingdom, to be a part of His family. He literally, I say it this way, I'll say it about myself. He looked at me saw the horrible, wicked, nasty, corrupt, depraved, dirty, smelly, stinky, literally hippie sinner that I was, and went, hey, if I save him, the universe will know that I am gracious. And Thankfully, he, saw, he thought the same about you. Apostles remind us of that reality. Apostles remind us that in every area of your life, literally, Your relationships, your finances, your job, your giftings, your hobbies, all of those things must be grounded upon the truth of the gospel. Amen? That's what the apostles do. They're the founding fathers. Prophets, I'm going to call them this morning, are our destiny deputies. They're the ones that speak forth grace and gifting into our life and speak forth grace and gifting to come out of our life and then hold us accountable to it. we love the first experience with the prophet, right? Where somebody calls us out or somebody speaks life into us, where where we're meeting with somebody, we're having coffee with somebody, and they're like, man, I really just think that you've got this amazing gift to do this, that, or the other, and you're just so awesome and significant and profound, and God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And we're like, yeah, I want to hang out with you all the time. This is awesome. We are the champions. We're all excited about it. We don't so much always like the other side of the prophet which holds us accountable to that when our life doesn't line up with the grace that is in us, that when our life doesn't line up to the calling and the high calling of Christ in our life, they call us to rise up to that. That's the part of the prophet we don't always like, but the reality is both need to be functioning or the prophetic True prophetic ministry gift of Jesus is not functioning in the church. Evangelists, evangelists are our mission mobilizers. They're not so much people that lead lots of people to Jesus. They're people that constantly remind us that we ought to be engaging in culture to lead people to Jesus. We all are called to do the work of an evangelist. We are all called to reach out to a desperate, dying, lost world that is not safe, that is not uh, easy, and to reach out with grace to see lost people reconciled to Christ. That's all of our responsibilities and evangelists constantly remind us of this. They're there to keep us on mission. Shepherds are our caring companions. If you need a good picture of what a shepherd does, what a pastor's job is, um, we need to see that a shepherd is clearly laid out what their job is in Psalm 23. The shepherd unit in your life, please hear me. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, I want you to hear this. The shepherd you need in your life is not me, is not somebody on TV, is not a small group leader. It's Jesus. Shepherds in the church are given to be physical representatives of the reality of Jesus being your good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He will never fail you. I will fail you. I've said this before here. I have, I've been in ministry now for almost 13 years. Wow. Um, that's just weird. Um, And in that time, I am a lot of people's former favorite pastor. I used to be really nice, but then I I just became a jerk. Uh, Somehow failed them. Look, it's not my intention or desire or hope to fail you. It's just the reality. Because all people will fail you at some point. Jesus is who we need to be looking to. But in that saying, a shepherd is called to love, comfort, rebuke, and exhort us. As we go through things, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they're with us. They walk through it with us. They're not fair-weather friends. They're not only there when we're doing good. They're there all the time, constantly, continually walking with us through these things. That's a shepherd. A teacher is the, is the revealer. A teacher's job, please hear me on this because I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to what a Bible teacher is. A Bible, te- a Bible teacher is not somebody who shares their personal experience with you. It's not somebody who quotes Greek words at you out of the Bible. It's not somebody who just has great worldly wisdom as it applies uh, and can apply scripture to that. It's not somebody who tickles your ears with fancy historical facts about things. A biblical teacher, the job of a teacher from the scriptures is to show you Jesus on every page of the Bible. That's their job. To open up for you Jesus. We see this perfectly pictured as Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus. He finds uh, uh, he finds two of his disciples, they're walking there together. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, as he walked, showed them from the Old Testament through the prophets, how all of it pointed to himself. That's a teacher's job. My job is not to entertain you. My job is not to entice you. My job is to show you Jesus on every page in every story. I've said this before. Perfect example. We want to hear the story of David and Goliath in church. Right, And what we want to hear is, stand up, rise up, be David to your generation, slay the giants, right? The problem is that's not the truth. The truth of the matter is in that story, the most proper biblical interpretation of the story of David and Goliath is you and me are the scared little Israelites hiding behind the rock, wetting our boots. Jesus is David who slayed our giants. We trust Jesus to show up when we're too scared to slay our giants, to slay our giants, the goal of, this, of a Bible teacher is not to show you on every page yourself, but rather to show you Jesus. We in together? We cool? All right. Uh, the last part of what this passage shows us is this, that true biblical ministry is not about watching professionals do ministry from a platform, but rather engaging in the ministry together as we are equipped by those Christ has uniquely graced. Their job is not to do the ministry. Their job is to equip us to do the ministry. You and I are all called to function. The way I put it is simply this way. Um, We only work when we all work. The church only works when we're all engaging and we are all functioning together as a body. The church only works when we're all grabbing a hold of that weight which Christ has given us to carry both for our own life and for us corporately. That's the way it works. It doesn't work any other way. There's not some secondary way that it's going to work. It's not about watching professionals. It's about engaging ourselves. Amen? So quickly, we saw that this happens privately and corporately. Been talking privately so far. Corporately, what I believe happens when we, we have the functioning, the full functioning of the fivefold ministry inside the church is this because of the ministry of the apostles, we all are secure because we know our identity. We know our identity as a blood bought servant of the Most High that comes through the apostles. When a prophet's moving, we have safety because we know there's accountability. I shared this before. My friend who's on staff at a church that has a very big moving of the prophetic, literally they've had to stop holding off on announcing things in their church until they can like figure out all the nuts and bolts because prophets just come to them and tell them, God spoke to me last night. Is this going on at the church? Because I feel like this is going on at the church. So my friend was getting ready to plant a church and they were going to wait two or three months before they announced it. And uh, they got about 20 emails that week and said, Lord spoke to me that such and such person is going to be going and planting a church and I'm wanting more information about that from you. They went, I guess we have to announce this this Sunday. Can't really keep it a secret. There's security in that, isn't there? There's safety in that. Knowing that, hey, you know what? If, if Mark goes sideways, there's going to be some people in here that are going to rise up and call out on it. And I submit myself to prophets as they speak. Um, as mission, as, as evangelists are functioning, uh, there's a there's a fight, there's a drive, there's a stop to stagnation in us as a church. We're not going to just get satisfied with, well, we have enough people to pay our bills so we can just stay at this point and forget about a world that's desperately dying and lost. Side note, we don't have enough money to pay our bills yet. Um, i throw that out there. Um, evangelists stop us from being stagnant. Shepherds sustain us. Sustain our souls through love. And shepherds satisfy our hunger for Jesus. It's the kind of ha- what happens in a corporate church. That's the kind of church I want to go to. That's the kind of church I think it would be fun to be a part of. So there's, there's our super quick, gigantic overview of it. If you haven't sent your questions in, you can do that as we continue. I think we got this set up so I can just click through them here maybe. We'll see if this works. Can I do this yet? Do we have any questions loaded up yet? No. Awesome. How's your day? So that's what we see as we see the uh, this functioning inside the local church. We said this before. Um, the church is both an organism and an organization. There's organizational structure that needs to happen in the church. We understand that. Uh, everything from practical stuff, like the sound has to get set up and the, uh, the, the speakers need to get put where they need to go. There's also organization, or, or, organizational structure that has to be there, like our elders, which we have as a church that watch over the entirety of what happens here at the church and watch over everything from our finances to the way our services run and our attendance and what out, when, out, when we're going to do outreach, what kind of outreach we're going to do. Uh, but there's also an organ There's an organ side of the church. There's an organism side of the church. And this is really the structure that needs to be in place for the organism side of the church, the relational structure that is the church. So um, we need to see this and we need to, to embrace it. So I think we've got our first question. Are we ready for this? Ready for some question and answers? See if this works. If we love this, maybe we'll do it more. If we hate it, we won't do it. Um, so I think I can control this, maybe. Kind of, sort of. First question. Can you guys just control it up there? Is that going to be doable? Hey, it's up there. Please silence all your devices for this service. Sweet. Can we put up a question? Thank you. This is going to be the most fun to listen to on the podcast. You know it is. You're going to listen just to hear this part. Like, it was so awkward. Uh, question number one with 13 minutes to go. Um, why is it so important for all people to have a shepherd? Good question. Um, first off, the simplest answer I can give you for that is because the Bible says so. Um, scripture calls us to submit to those who are in leadership. Submit literally means to come under and to hold up. So uh, I'm going I'm to kind of answer this in two Two sides. I think it's important for us to understand that um, if you think you're a shepherd and nobody's being shepherded by you, you're not a shepherd, okay? That's the, that's the unique relationship with submission because I think that's what this question is really kind of trying to get at. Why, why do I need to submit to a pastor? Why do I need to submit to a shepherd? Um, the, the larger answer, though, is this. There, in every one of our lives, there is blind spots. I will openly confess to you That um, I have areas of sin in my life that I am completely unaware of. That I have areas in my theology that are wrong. That I have areas in my thinking that are contrary to the scriptures. If I knew of any of those things, please understand, I would openly confess them, try to learn better theology, and change the way I think. But I don't. We all think we're perfect. Let's be real. We, we, all, we all think, I mean, if, if, there, if you are a truly regenerated believer and you knowingly know an area of your life that is in contradiction to the scriptures, we run to Jesus about it, right? Well, how do we see those areas when we're blinded by them? Hyper-spiritual people want to say, well, I just pray to Jesus and he just speaks them to me and then I just, I confess. But if he's not going to say it, then I'm just not going to hear a person because it's just me and Jesus. That's all I need. That's not the Bible. That's not scripture. We want to believe that, oh, I can just have a relationship with Jesus by myself and that's all I need. But the problem is the gospel calls us to community, the gospel calls us to life together. The gospel says that Jesus didn't die for a person. Please hear me. Christ died for a people. There's a teaching and an understanding that came, that was rejected during the Reformation. Because it had corrupted people's lives, but the basic truth of it was not false. And that is this. It was a statement that was, says "There, outside of the church there is no salvation. This idea that I can get saved on my own and be a truly a complete disciple of Christ on my own is a false idea that has only come into the church in the last few hundred years. Before, the idea was that as you experience the grace and regeneration of Christ, the most natural thing for you is to find a body of people that you connected with and to bury your life in that place. How does that relate to a shepherd, you might ask? Well, a bunch of sheep are not a herd. A bunch of sheep need a shepherd. And look, again, please hear me. The shepherd we need most completely is Jesus, but he has chosen to make physical representatives of him inside the body known as shepherds or pastors. The reason why, by the way, uh, maybe this question will come up, so I won't answer it. If I have to answer another question at the end and we don't have time or whatever, I'll maybe throw it out. But um, hopefully that answers that question. Uh, can you guys control this up there? Or should I do it from down here? You're good up there? Cool. Next question. Um, does Sozo really teach that there are still apostles? Yes. Short answer. Next question. Kidding. Um, uh, I actually saw this email come in, and the, question, the rest of the question had to do with the fact that this person was raised in a church that said that the apostolic age has ended, so there's no more apostles anymore. So why are we teaching about apostles when there's no such thing as apostles anymore? Um, how deep do I want to go into this? Um, from a... a are there apostles like there were in the Bible, specifically people who can hear God perfectly and write scripture? No. But do we teach that the apostolic office, I'm using weird words here, but just follow along with me here for a second, still function in the church? Very much so. Because we, Why? Because we still need the gospel being built as the foundation of this church and of our lives. Um, here's where I'll answer the question that I almost was going to accidentally answer before that wasn't asked. Um, a question came to me one week after service. The person's not here today. Um, why? Why did? Why do we use the term shepherd instead of pastor? Oh, first off, we use the international standard version here. It's just the version that I think is the best translation of the Bible in English available today, um, and it uses the word shepherd. But I would use the word shepherd anyways, even in previous years when I've used other translations of the Bible, uh, because the title that we give to let's just this is awkward for me, but my job as the lead pastor here, biblically speaking, is more of an apostolic job than it is a pastoral job. Um, what we saw in the earliest glimpses of the church in Acts is the apostles dedicating themselves to prayer and the study of God's word that they might build the gospel as the foundation of the early church. Pastors are more appropriately called shepherds are those that care for us. We might call these uh deacons, we might call these small group leaders. Those are those people that are going to shepherd you, pastor you. As we grow as a church, it's going to be harder and harder for me to know all of you and harder and harder for me to shepherd all of you. Please hear me. Please hear me. Please hear me. My heart is to always shepherd everyone, shepherd everyone. But there's going to come a point, we're not there yet, where I physically just wouldn't be able to do that. So when we we give the guy up here the title pastor and shepherd, then we expect him to always be there every time we get sick. When we understand that we don't use titles here in this church, my name is Mark, not Pastor Mark, Reverend Mark, Bishop Mark, it's just Mark, worked for the first 20 some odd years of my life before I got ordained, I figure it can work for the rest of it. Um, We need to understand that it's not so much about that thing. So when it comes to do we really teach that, uh, that there are still apostles, yes. We still believe that the apostolic ministry of laying the foundation of the gospel inside the local church is still functioning and is still a valid office. Uh, To broaden this question, we believe that if it's in the Bible, then it should be in the church. So we still believe in things like speaking in tongues and healing and people being miraculously transformed by grace. Crazy stuff like that. Don't worry, we're only as weird as we have to be. Next question. Hopefully that answered it for whoever that was. Um, How do you hear God and how do you know it is him? Good question. I think this one came out of uh, the week that we did the, the series on prophets hear God. I actually got quite a few questions like this um, that came in about hearing God. Um, this is this is probably a whole series in and of itself, this question. But let me give a, a short, very brief answer. God will always sound like he sounds in the Bible. Which means that if you're going to hear God, he's going to speak in Old English. And if he doesn't, it's not Jesus. My wife's saying that's not true. Really? Um, no. What I mean by that is this. God will never speak English to you anything that blatantly contradicts his word. The reason why it's so important for us to learn how to hear the voice of the Lord is this. You will not find inside the scripture, Johnny, go down the road and witness to your neighbor. Verse just isn't there. You will, however, find go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. So in hearing God say, Johnny, go down the road. If your name's Johnny, if it's not, that would just be really awkward. Maybe he got the wrong voicemail. Um, in hearing him call you to go out and share love and share grace with somebody down the road, we see that it's in line with what the scriptures teach so you know what you're not wrong in doing it even if you missed God. How you hear God, in my opinion, how you learn to hear him is twofold. One, it's read the Bible a lot. Get to know the sound of his voice. Get to know what he sounds like in here so that when you hear him in here, it sounds like what it sounds like in here. The second way is this, and I know this—no, some people may not like this, it's practicing. I want to open up in case some of you don't realize this. This is a safe place to practice. If We're in the midst of worship, either in the first part of our worship or the latter part of our worship. And you feel like you've heard God say something that's for us as a church. You can come up to my wife and say, Hey, I think I heard God. This is what I think I'm hearing. I think it's for us as a church. And she's going to either say, that's totally wrong. You wicked, corrupt sinner. You suck. And you need to go back. No, she's either going to say that (laughs) my wife's like, I would never say that. Um, She wouldn't. Um, She's either going to, you know, I don't really think that you're like, I, I think Jesus is just saying that we need to all smear peanut butter on our faces. Um, she's going to kindly in love and grace let you know that you missed Jesus on that one, and you should go back to your seat. Um, but she's going to help in the midst of your week or in your life if you think you're hearing God. This is another reason maybe we all need shepherds. Yeah, I think I'm hearing the Lord say this. My wife and I sat down with a couple people in our church this Last couple weeks. And people saying, we think this is where God's leading us. We think this is the direction he's leading us in. Is this the Lord? There's nothing wrong, please hear me, with bouncing things off of trusted people. Learning how to hear God's voice together in community. It's another reason why we need one another and we need shepherds. And honestly, I know that may not answer the totality. The the truth is, practice makes better. I won't say perfect because I don't think any of us hear God's voice perfectly. But as we practice these things, we get better at these things. And it's okay to, 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 to skip or to miss or to, hey, you know, I didn't really hit that one really right. I didn't really hear it perfectly. Um, I would discourage practicing with non-believers. I knew a guy who was trying to learn how to hear the voice of the Lord, and he, he thought the best way to do it was in public places with non-believers. He would just pray and ask God to speak to him something about somebody, and then walk up to some random guy at a restaurant and say, God, I think God said this to me. And the problem was um, he was wrong 95% of the time and just made a fool out of himself and the gospel. So I would not recommend practicing on people, but hey, we're safe here, right? And so this is a good place to practice and a good place to learn. And just don't be afraid of missing God in this kind of a context. It's a safe place. Hopefully that answers that question. Do we have any more? I'm getting nods. Cool. Um, Do all believers have one of these five gifts? Oh, yuck. Um... Um, okay, fun. Um, this is a debate and I'm going to say this right now, uh, explaining a little bit of Sozo's, uh, philosophy and some of these things. We believe that there are open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. We believe there are things and what what I can say this, there are things we can discuss open-handed and there's things that we should divide over closed-handed. Um, if you believe that Jesus is not the only way to be saved, this is going to be a very uncomfortable place for you. That's a closed-handed issue for us. If you believe the Bible's open to personal interpretation and it can kind of say whatever you want it to say, that's a close-handed issue for us. It's going to be really uncomfortable here for you. You're welcome to hang around, but it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, Open-handed issues. Uh, Oh, let's do this. Close-handed issue. The current experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's a close-handed issue for us. We believe in that. Do you have to speak in tongues or not speak in tongues? That's an open-handed issue for us. Do you believe all people have to speak in tongues when they get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Cool. If you don't, cool. That's not something we would divide over. Does that make sense? Um, uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism. That's an open-handed issue for us. If You've hung around us very long. As so long as you're willing to hear my opinion every week on it. Um, it's an open-handed, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't deny membership to somebody because they had a differing opinion about that. Uh, the exact details of the return of Jesus, open-handed issue for us. Jesus returning, close-handed issue for us. Would you have on this? Okay, uh, in saying that, this is an open-handed issue for us, okay? My, my opinion that I'm going to share right now would be what Soza would hold to, but if you have a differing opinion of this, this doesn't mean go find another church. You cool with that? Um, I used to believe that all believers were one of these five. That used to be my opinion. In further studying Honestly, over about the last three years, that is no longer my opinion from scripture because it doesn't say Christ gave these gifts to all people and some of them are these things and he divides them up. He says he gave some, some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are teacher, some are, some are shepherds. He doesn't say all are one of these things. I think if all were, he would have made that clear. And here's why I actually don't believe this, because I believe for the vast majority of us, we are called to function as all of these things in varying times in our life in different relationships. And to some people, uh, I'm going to take the pastor, leader, apostle hat off right now and just say as a believer, one-on-one with somebody, I might function as a teacher occasionally and show them Jesus in the scriptures. Other times I might function as a prophet and hold them accountable to that which God has called them to. Other times I might function as a shepherd and just love on people and hug somebody and say, I know life sucks, you're going to make it through this. And when we pigeon ourselves into one of them, then we say, well, I don't have to evangelize. I don't have to care about people. I don't have to love people because I'm not, I, this, is, this is really the, ev- the evidence that really the last straw for me was talking to somebody who said, well, you know what? I don't love people because I'm a prophet. And my job is really to just be the hammer that gets dropped on. It's like, no, you, you never should get up and say anything in a church because I'm, I've said this before here. I'll say it again. If you don't love people, you should shut up in church. If you're going to get up and spew hatred and spew anger and spew self righteousness, then go be a Mormon and do that. Don't, I'm serious. Like, don't disdain the name of Christ for your own hatred. I mean, go badmouth them. I'm going to get letters. Um, my wife's going to write a letter. Um, next question. Yes, exactly. The Bible calls us to speak the truth in love. If you're not going to do that, then don't talk. Um, how do you know your giftings, purpose, role in the mission of Jesus through the local church? Well, there's nothing like a big question. Mm. <clears throat> I'm going to give a super short answer on this one again too. I would love to do a whole series on this and maybe someday we will. Um, the short answer is this. What is your passion? What is your desire? What do you long to do? Okay. Does, does going and hanging out in the nursery just make you feel alive, loving on babies? Loving on somebody else's kids. that just life comes into you from that. Um, that's the first example. Let's, let's use a, a more specific one. Let's say um, you think doing what I'm doing right now is really your calling. So uh, when you study the Bible, it just comes alive to you, and you love the idea of teaching and instructing other people in the word. Okay, A good way to know if that's your calling and purpose is try it. Sign up, go through some training, become a small group leader and start a Bible study at your house, not at my house, at our house, at your house. Um, Start a Bible study, invite people to it and teach the scriptures. um, If you love it, if you suck at it and nobody wants to listen to you, that's probably not your gifting. I know that sounds bad, um, but that's kind of the way you discover it. Um, Is it a passion and is there grace there to do it? Both need to be there. I said this earlier um, if you 're if you 're a shepherd and no one 's following you you 're probably not a shepherd. It may be in that instance maybe you 're an intercessor. Maybe the gifting and the calling that god 's given you is prayer, and really your heart of compassion for people isn 't really so much to to shepherd them it is to pray for them and intercede for them. Does that make sense so th- there's there 's kind of this this, this left foot right foot kind of thing that needs to happen is it a passion and is there grace there for you to do it um i knew from an early age in the lord that preaching was something i was called to do now please hear me this is the tension to that i hope that i'm better now than i was when i started i think i am because when i started the only place i was allowed to preach was on a street corner downtown in spokane because nobody can stop me um And I will say that Pastor Doug of the Rock of Ages, who was my pastor at the time, gave me permission to do it. Um, He was like, sure, if you want to try that, go ahead. I'm not going to come listen, but you can go. Um, And really, that was the only place I should have been preaching. I had horrible theology. It was really bad. Um, But I knew the gospel, and I loved people, and that's all I was preaching anyways. Um, But does that make sense? I think there's a duality in that. There needs to be a passion for it. Why I say that is this. Sometimes what can happen inside the, the local church is this. Um, there's kind of this mindset, this mentality that if you enjoy it, that can't be your gifting. Because if you're enjoying it, that's not really serving, right? If it doesn't hurt, it doesn't count. I've actually heard people say this before. Um, that's not that's not the gospel. That's not scripture. That's not Jesus. Jesus has put passions and giftings in you. Those need to be in line with, though, your the giftings that are there and the grace that's there. So how do you know what your passion, what your calling, your purpose, your role is? Um, what, what, what lights your fire in an area? Maybe you, like, man, if I could be standing out there with, with John greeting people, that would just be awesome. Um, I thought, you know, if it didn't suck, it doesn't count. Um, I kind of bought into that, so I tried to be a Sunday school teacher at the Rock of Ages, and it was the worst three months of these poor children's lives. Uh, thankfully I got engaged to my wife in the middle of it because before that, I kid you not, I just rented VeggieTales and showed them every week because I realized like I was not cut out for this. Like, me working with kids doesn't work out very well. They hate me. Um, I don't know what to do with them except for show VeggieTales. So, uh, that was not a grace. So it's finding the passion and finding the grace. So, um, who fulfills these five positions for Sozo? Well, we have a board of apostles, a board of prof. No, um, Quite honestly, it's part of why we're preaching it, preaching it right now. Because here's what I didn't want to do: because we don't believe that all people are called to one of these five. I didn't want to do the classic: give you a test every week, answer these five questions, see if you're an apostle. Has anybody ever been to one of those services? Um, answer these six questions, maybe you're an evangelist. Um, uh, on a scale of one to ten, answer these, and maybe you'll find out. What, no, that, because all of those things are based solely on experience. I was called to be a pastor before I, or in a, you know, to, to, to be the lead pastor, church plant of a church before I ever did it. So, how would I have known if I'd never done it? How could I have answered those questions? Does that make sense? Um, so, part of the reason we want to teach these to us as a church and look through them and take so much time to look through them is hopefully as some of this was being preached, something wiggled inside of you, to use a scientific term. Um, something kind of shook inside and you went, ooh, that kind of feels like me. And again, if there's a desire and a passion there, start moving in that area. Start stepping out a little bit in that area. Start, start maybe, maybe for you, it's evangelism. I'm just pulling one out of the air. Maybe for you, it's evangelism. And for you, you're like, man, I'm just passionate about outreach. I'm passionate about reaching out to people. Start inviting some people to come with you and maybe go downtown and witness to some people or, or start reaching out to some people at your workplace in a life-giving non, well, as least weird as you can be, right? Um, way and see what happens. See if there's grace there. Because the reality, the hope is that as much as possible on a Sunday morning in this time, all five of these things in a, in a gumbo type way are happening. But we can't rely solely on what happens here on a Sunday morning from the platform. Has to happen throughout the week. So really, what how, what role, how are these um, fulfilled at Sozo, you guys. Um, there's some of these areas that are more open than others. My um, position is apostolic, my giftings lie in pastoral and prophetic. I said it when we talked about evangelism. I am not somebody who is naturally um, called as a fivefold evangelist, which means if you are, this should be the best church in the world for you because that whole area is wide open. I've said before, I don't know why worship leaders would ever join Sozo because I am one. So they would just come in and go, oh, that that role's filled. I'll find another church. That's not the right way to think. I don't want to be up there every week. Um, But when it comes to evangelists, it's wide open. We need somebody to champion that area. It's a necessary part of who we are. We need people who are, uh, many of you don't know this, and he would be upset if I said this. Our children's director, Robert, has four times more biblical education than I do. He's currently taking graduate classes at Whitworth, okay? Uh, We have good, solid teacher people here. I bounce stuff off of him all the time. I'm going to say this. Do you think that's cool? Um, Okay, so uh, my point is there's open areas in the church. I think we're coming to a landing here probably. No? Wow, cool. Um, How does the church determine, know, that a prophet is truly speaking God's word and not his own ideas? Um, Well, we have these... uh, rocks that we throw out in front of us and when they, <laughs> that was, that was all for Old Testament people. Um, I'm such a nerd. How do we know? I think this goes back to specifically um, what we talked about before. It's in alignment with the word. Some of this, I'm going to be honest, and this is one of those, it's as weird as we have to be. Some of it is us having a history of hearing God speak, and we know what sounds like him. It reverberates. There's an echo in our spirit. In in Psalms, it it talks about the voice of the Lord sounding like the deep waters crying out to deep waters when someone hears the voice of the Lord being spoken. Sometimes, and I know that's weird. I wish I had more of like a scientific answer for you. Um, I'm going to be real. There's sometimes, I wish we were in the Old Testament. I could just throw rocks out in front of me and blame it on the rocks. Like, well, I'm sorry, God, I missed it, but you you should have moved the rock. Um, Sometimes it just has to do with, you know, that 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 resonates. That wiggles something. That feels right. And as that, please hear me. This is why we have a council. This is why we have a board of elders. There's six of us. The hope is that if something's wrong, and just so you know, um, this maybe this question is going to come up later, but I'll answer it now. In our eldership, in the bylaws, I think we only have to have like a 60% majority for something to get passed in an elders meeting, but we've all agreed that if it's not 100%, we don't do it. If all six of us aren't on board with saying, this sounds like God, we just don't do it. We go, you know what? we can keep praying about it. Um, I think a mistake I see in a lot of, and I'm not trying to talk bad about anybody, but a mistake I see in a lot of my friends who are planting churches at the time, I have quite a few friends that are planting churches, is that we think very short term, we can think very short term, I should say it that way. We we can have a tendency to think short-term. And I constantly have to back up and go, Sozo is going to exist if the Lord are, is to tarry for hundreds of years. It's okay if we take a year and study the book of Ephesians. Does that make sense? I don't have to rush to the next thing. I, I plan on, and I've said this here before, I, I plan on pastoring Sozo literally to the day I die. My, my personal preference, and I'm talking to Jesus about this, trying to put the request in now, is that I can just preach my own memorial service climb in the casket, close it and be buried like that's um that would be my preference um we'll see if it works i don't know um my point just is i i i I plan on doing this for the rest of my life which means that we've got time and we can say people we're not growing as fast as we thought we were yeah we're not growing as fast as i thought we were either but you know what We're still reaching out to people. We're still doing the work of evangelists. We're still doing the work of reaching out. And it's up to the Lord to grow the church anyways. And we're going to be around for a couple hundred years. So we're good. Make sense? Um, Next question. Do you believe in Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit as one in the Trinity or as three separate beings? Holy buckets. Yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. Um, Holy cow. It's 1116. Um. This will be the last question we get to this morning. Um, unless my wife wants to give us permission to go long. Um, here's here's the, the, the issue. Yes, we, we are a Trinitarian church. Let me answer that question first broadly. Um, we have two more after this one. Is that what they're telling me? All right, we'll have time then. I'll try to answer this one as quick as possible. Um, the Trinity is a gigantic issue that if you try to nail down too tightly is where heresies come up. Um, if you, let me just say it this way. It, we're not a Jesus only church. We don't believe that Jesus is the totality of God and it's just different representations of him in the Trinity. Like as when, he's, when he's a spirit, he's the Holy Spirit. And when he's up in heaven, he's the father. That's a teaching that has crept into the, to the church. For those of you listening on the recording, my fingers are making quotations. Um, we believe that God is three distinct beings that together are one in the Trinity. Um, there, the, every, every single idea, okay, this is where I'll land this. Every single idea that you've heard that tried to explain the Trinity, I'm just going to be honest with you, except for one, is all wrong. Here's the classics that I hear. It's like water, right? Water can be vapor, water can be ice, water can be liquid. That's the, that's the Trinity, it's one God in three modes. Well, that's modalism. That's not biblical. Um, another one I hear a lot is um, it's like me. I am the son of my dad. I am the father to my children and I'm the husband to my wife. I'm a Trinity. It's not biblical either. Um, another one I hear a lot is it's like an egg. It has a shell. It has a white, it has a yolk. Not biblical either. The only biblical example we have of the Trinity, the only biblical example is marriage. Um, Because where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That Hebrew word is only used one other place in the Old Testament. And that place is when in Genesis it says, A man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. So yes, the Trinity is three distinct beings, but like in in the truest, most pure sense of a marriage, we're one. In the same way, the Trinity is one. They always agree. They're always on the same page. They're always together. I explained this to my daughter the other day. She was asking, and I used this example. And I said, you know, when you ask your mom something and she says, no, what's dad going to say? And you're going to say, no, exactly. That's, that's like the Trinity. That's the only biblical example of the Trinity. And for those of you who are like, well, I want to be able to understand the Trinity totally. Let me just float this idea out to you hypothetically. If, if the true God of the Bible can be understood by your or my brain Is he truly the God of the Bible? I'm personally okay with not understanding God, the inner workings of how God functions. And last but not least, if you've read the shack, it's a pile of garbage when it comes to teaching you about the Trinity. I'm sorry. If you got something good out of it and it was like really meaningful to you and it was like really great and it fed your soul awesome, just don't believe any of the crap it tells you about the Trinity. Uh, The Father is not uh, an African-American woman. Uh, The Holy Spirit is not an Asian chick and Jesus is not, okay, it's just not a good picture of the Trinity. If I could get one book unpublished, I swear. Um, can a woman have any of the... I'm moving on. Can a woman have any of the five gifts, or are there some excluded, exclusive to men? Awesome. We're just going to all of the controversies this morning. What do we believe about the Trinity? What's our view of women? Um, again, I've got to go big picture here for us as a church. For us as a church... Um, Little biblical theological education. Are you guys still with me? Is this still going? Are we still moving? Okay, um, cool. Um, Little biblical theological education. Two words that you never need to know outside of the church. Uh, Egalitarian. Everybody say egalitarian. It's just kind of fun to say, isn't it? Egalitarian and complementarian. Uh, These are big theological terms. Here's what they mean. Uh, Complementarian says that men and women, God created men and women differently. They function, they, they serve different roles and they fulfill different purposes on the earth, and those roles are exclusive to one or the other. Egalitarian says that in Christ we're all the same, and it doesn't matter. Um, uh, Real fast, open-handed issue for us. Except that we have a stance, and so if you disagree with it, it might be uncomfortable for you. Uh, What we teach is we piss off both sides. (laughs) Because we believe this. We believe that inside of a marriage and inside the home, we are very complementarian. Um, I have on record my wife with three witnesses of my children telling my kids that I am the head of our household. So I know it's true. Um, <laughs> I can do what I want to as long as she says it's okay. Um, <laughs> we believe that the, that the husband is the head of the household. For those of you single ladies in the room, I believe that you should let a man pursue you. Kind of old school in that way. Uh, we believe as the husband is the head of the household. In, inside of the family, we believe in complimentary roles. Now let me, I don't want to get too into the, the nitty gritty of this. My wife handles our checkbook because if I handled it, we would have the most glorious life for six months and then I would go to debtor's prison. They would reinstate it just for me. I know they don't, it's against the law here. They'd be like, no, you are that bad. We're shipping you to Guantanamo. Um, like it would just, it just would be bad because I'm horrible with money. It's not that I want to be in, just for those of you who are freaking out, like he's the pastor of the church, and he's horrible with money. I don't handle any of the church's money. I don't know what anybody gives. I don't know what our offerings are every week. I don't know any of it, okay? I don't go near it. I'm just not gifted financially. So some people would say, well, as the head of the household, shouldn't you handle the checkbook? No. As the head of the household, I should be humble enough to say, will you please handle this? Okay? Um, So we believe in complementary roles inside the house. Inside the church, however... I believe that scripture does make it quite clear that in Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. So for us inside the church, my wife and I are the head pastors of this church, the lead pastors of the church, both of us together. Now my giftings function more in preaching, teaching up here kind of stuff. She handles a lot more of the administrative making stuff actually work. So um, that's the kind of way that it functions for us. We believe that in Christ, there is no male or female. So, to answer that question the ba- the last question, <laughs> to go back to the last there we go um, women can function in any any five of those roles. Uh, just to throw out, we said this a couple times here before uh, why are they given masculine titles then because in Christ we are all sons we don't we don't use a version of the Bible like the new living for instance it's not a bad you know well it's not a horrible translation of the Bible um, we don't use it though because it, it's a gender neutral translation, meaning that it, it adds a word into the Bible, sisters. It'll say where the Bible says, therefore now brothers. It'll say, therefore now brothers and sisters. Well, the problem with that is we are all sons of God. Now, ladies, that might offend you, but the reason for it is, biblically speaking, in biblical uh, Hebrew-Judaic culture, only men got an inheritance. Only men could own property. Only men could run businesses. So in saying in a biblical culture that you are a son of God, what that is doing is, and I know this sounds horrible, it's elevating your status to say, you know, you can, you can do everything a man can do. Now, for those of you who are uncomfortable, ladies, with the fact that the Bible makes you be a son, the Bible also says that we collectively are the bride of Christ, and I guarantee you it is easier for you to be a son than it is for me to be a bride, okay? So um, equal offenders, okay? So we believe in both, complementarian inside the home, egalitarian inside the church. Does that make sense? We in together? Awesome, next question. I'm going as fast as I can. Does Sozo believe that water baptism is required for salvation? Short answer, no. Um, Because salvation is by grace through faith. So therefore to tack onto it the necessity to be baptized in order to be saved, doesn't jive biblically speaking jesus said to the uh thief on the cross next to him i tell you the truth today you'll be with me in paradise and i'm pretty sure jesus didn't pop off the cross for a minute dunk him in water and throw him back up there that'd be horrible (laughs) you imagine that like yeah i'm off the cross no you got to go back sorry um however let me let me preface this by let me or let me add to that by saying this I believe, we believe as a church, in the importance and the reality of sacraments. It's something a little weird for us. Most, most um, churches in the stream that we're in, I don't really want to give us too much of a, of a label, would teach that things like baptism, communion, they're just kind of things we do symbolically. They don't really mean anything. We don't believe that. It's my personal strongly held belief that something happens when we take communion. It's why we do it every week. Something happens. For me, the moment where this was really solidified was when I started doing weddings. And I can tell you from the from the closest seat you can have without being in it, something supernatural happens there. Something beyond what's happening is happening, is what I mean by the word supernatural. And so there is something that takes place in sacraments. And I know that's a weird word for non-Catholic, non-liturgical churches to use, but it's a good word. There's something beyond natural that happens there. There's something beyond natural that happens when we take communion. Now, am I saying we believe in transubstantiation that the bread physically becomes the body of Christ, the, the cup physically becomes the blood of Christ supernaturally as you take it? No. But I also think it's dangerous to say nothing happens because Jesus said, this is my body. Oh, he only meant that symbol. He still said, this is my body. Okay, so something beyond natural happens there. Let me say the same thing about baptism. If you are a, if you have experienced the redemptive grace and work of Christ in your heart and life, if through his goodness, kindness, and mercy, he has won over your affections in your heart, he would call you to be baptized. And I would encourage you that something supernatural happens there. All your problems go away. You get a new car. And, no, <laughs> everyone's jumping up. Like something happens, though. I can tell you when I I was saved for years before I got baptized. Okay, open confession. Then we'll end. Um, I got I got my I, I was I was born again. I was I was converted. I was saved. I accepted Jesus. Whatever your theological persuasion would be, you can pick the title. Um, my affections were won over by Christ, and my church uh, was, did its first baptism. I lived, I lived in the island of Guam at the time. Um, no, that's not in Kansas. Um, and, and my church said they were going to do a baptism service. And I was a young, stinky, smelly hippie. I didn't like, think about signing up for it or anything. I just thought you showed up to the beach, and we get baptized. So I roll up, all excited. I'm going to get baptized. And, um, and my pastor pulls me aside, and he goes, Mark, I'm so glad you're here here's a guitar, do you mind leading worship while we baptize everybody? And I remember thinking, like, it'd be kind of horrible to be like, I don't want to serve, I want to be baptized. So I said, sure. And I kid you not, the next 12 baptisms I went to, the same thing happened. (laughs) I even changed churches twice, and the same thing would happen. I would show up to get baptized and get asked to lead worship. And so I didn't get baptized. So years went by, I wasn't baptized. I was actually functioning as a pastor on staff at a church. And I'd never been baptized. I baptized kids, and I've never been baptized. And this is the confession time. If you thought that was it, you're wrong. I, I went to go get interviewed for my first full-time job as a, as a youth pastor at a church. And I was literally, we're, my wife and I were going to leave like two, day, two days from then. And I went, oh, shoot, I'm, gonna, I'm going to interview at a Baptist church. <laughs> and somehow that made me feel guilty enough like they're going to, baptism is clearly important to them. It's in the name. Like <laughs> I have to get baptized. So I called up, some of you know him. His name is Brandon Rector. I called up my youth pastor at like 1030 at night. And I was like, how long does it take to fill up the baptismal at the church? I need to get baptized. And he was like, what am I? I'm getting, I'm going to interview the a Baptist church. They're going to ask and I'm going to say no. And here's the horrible part. This is the true confession. On my baptism certificate, can you just put the month and the day and not the year? Just don't put it on there. Like, it's not lying if I don't say. Like, so I, I, I got a few, um, I got the closest people in my life together and we went and I was down and baptized. And I can honestly tell you something happened. I wasn't more saved when I came out of the water, but I will tell you this maybe this is part of it. I was more sure of my salvation after I came out of that water. Um, the Bible says that as we are dunked, and just so you know, we believe in full immersion baptism, we dunk you and hold you under until you stop sinning. Um, <laughs> there, is a, there is something supernatural that happens, that's all I'll say. So we, we do believe in baptism, but we don't believe it is uh, required in order to be saved. Awesome? Well, this was fun. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going we're to go back into worship, but we're going to celebrate this morning, and uh, we're going to kick it up in encourage you to put your earplugs back in. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to call the band to come back up to the stage. And uh, if you enjoyed this, would you do this? Would you uh, let us know on our Facebook if this is something that you feel is, is good and, and, and healthy for us to do? Uh, we probably would never do another one this long, but we might kind of leave occasionally once a month or so or once every other month, a little five or ten minutes at the end of a, of a message uh, to answer questions. So I'm going to pray. Uh, let's stand to our feet. If you have not partaken of communion yet, uh, you are welcome to... Uh, at your own risk, come forward as we enter back into worship and partake of communion. And uh, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning. God, I thank you that you, oh well, we joke about it, but truly you are the answer to all of these questions. Right? That your, your grace, your mercy, your goodness is the answer to all of this. You are the ultimate answer in our life. And without you, none of these answers mean anything. And so God, I ask that as we enter back into worship and and celebrate who you are, that you you would settle once and for all in our hearts the issue of your lordship, the issue of your supremacy. God, that we would embrace big God theology, that we would not try to limit you or press you down in our theology, but rather we would make much of you in all areas. That if there's a mistake to be made in the theology of this house, it's the mistake of making too much of who you are. God, we open up ourselves to your voice. And God, I ask that as we move now, God, that you would be pleased, that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified and exalted. God, we glorify you. In Jesus' name.